Hi, I'm Sam. I'm a legal executive here in the contentious probate team at Whitehead Moncton. I'm joined today by Neha, who's a trainee solicitor with the firm. And we're just going to discuss today why contentious probate is on the rise. And Neha is just going to ask a couple of questions and then I'm just going to obviously answer them just so it gives some structure and, and helps it flow. So uh, Neha, did you want to ask the first question? Yeah. Um, so why did you choose to discuss this topic today? I, I thought discussing the topic more generally um, may just help rather than just go into what, what the legal claims are in this area to just explain hopefully why it's on the rise and also make people aware of potential scenarios they may be in where, where they can go and seek advice and sometimes having relatable circumstances that, that people may be in just highlights how and when advice on the legal side may be required so it's just sort of identifying um, the type of circumstances and, and scenarios that, that arise in this area and why they are on the rise as well. Can you briefly just touch on the main type of claims that arise against a person's estate? So they aren't just a contentious probate, it's a very wide area, it also uh, covers uh, trusts and, and, and other elements of, of gifting for example, but the, the main ones that arise on a, on a death are contesting the validity of a will. So contesting that a person may have lacked testamentary capacity to make the will, they may have lacked knowledge and approval of the contents, for example, and that's a, that's a claim against the validity of a will itself. Separately, uh, sometimes they, they also flow at the same time, but a, a sep the separate main claim against the person's estate and not against the actual document itself, for example, is claims under the Inheritance Provision for Family Independence Act. Um, these, are, these are more commonly known generally as family provision claims, and they stem from that, that act, which was dated back in 1975, for a claim against a person's estate that they haven't received reasonable financial provision. And why do you think there's claims now on the rise against the validity of someone's will? Um, the various uh, reasons for that, obviously I touched on testamentary capacity, for example, and have and requiring to have that. And the, the average age is on, on the rise, and that's, that's proven by statistics, and I've got a couple here. So, for, for example, in the National Mental Capacity Forum Chair's annual report, and back in 2016, it was estimated that approximately 2 million people in the, in the UK do not have mental capacity. And the main, main reason for this is, is mental illness. And dementia is one of the most common forms of mental illness. And research from, or statistics from Alzheimer's Research UK shows that currently a person's risk of developing dementia over the age of 65 is, is 1 in 14. A person's risk over the age of 85 is 1 in 6. And, and globally, the number of people living with dementia will increase by 204% by 2050. So whilst around 944,000 people in the UK are estimated to be living with dementia, only 525,000 within that, within that research uh, were said to have a formal diagnosis and it can take two to three years before a person is diagnosed with dementia after symptoms begin. So that really flags up um, risks where people are making a will in their later years, which is going to be more, more common, that more and more people are, are beginning to do plan, planning surrounding their death later in their years when men mental illness is a real real risk. So with the average age increasing and those numbers in increasing on mental illness, then there's going to be more circumstances where people are making a will and, and capacity is certainly going to be questioned as is knowledge and approval, which is certainly why 
claims against the validity of a person's will is on the rise, um, and also family dynamics, which I'll come on to in a moment, probably more relative to the, to the other type of claim, but where you have second and third marriages and you have stepchildren and um, people that, more and more people where, if people die without a will, they may be disinherited, for example, and start beginning to ask these type of questions, then it's likely to flag up that there's, there's more and more evidence to potentially find from, from looking at medical records and undertaking retrospective assessments that a person may not have in fact had, had capacity to, to make their will. So it's, it's certainly big reasons there and statistics as to why that, that area in particular is on the rise. Thank you. So you briefly mentioned family dynamics. Could you just elaborate on that and why might family provision claims be on the rise? Yeah, so we're sort of coming in, it's, it's more and more common now that you may have cohabiting partners, for example, who could be together for 10, 15, 20 years, really have joint finances, be living together, and they don't marry for, for whatever that reason may be. Reasonable reasons, of course. Um, they may not, the cost of weddings, example, is certainly on the rise, um, is, is very, very high. But as a, as a result of that, if they don't get matters in place on their death, then it, it does create problems. So with second, third marriages where there's stepchildren involved, a new spouse may be completely cut out of a, a, a will where the deceased may have left all of the estate to their children, but you've got a spouse still living in, in their home and who's reliant upon the deceased and therefore they may bring a claim against their, their estate. And for spouses, it's different, different sort of tests apply under the family provision claim in that it's almost treated as a divorce and similar principles do, do apply. And on, on the reverse, there may be stepchildren bringing a claim um, if, if everything's been left to, to the step-parent and they see sort of what they thought was their family inheritance sort of been passed over and there may be certainly questions asked about that um, and, and, and claims being sought, which is why the circumstances as to why and when a claim may be brought is becoming more common, which is why why the area is, is certainly um, becoming more and more increasing in terms of workload and, and volume of cases. Uh, the, the, a big one as well, just to touch on, is, is cohabitants, because if, if a person dies without a will, then the intestacy rules apply to their estate, and the sort of law dictates how their estate is distributed, and cohabitants aren't, aren't provided for under any intestacy rules. So if you go back to that scenario with uh, cohabiting partners, been together 15, 20 years and neither of them have wills in place, then they wouldn't, they wouldn't receive any benefit um, un under a person's estate, definitely. There may be some benefit left through uh, joint property being owned, etc. But if not, then uh, a partner can really be left, uh, left in the lurch and may require a claim. And where, where you have more and more cohabiting partners unmarried, that's why you, you'll see these type of claims on, on the rise because those, those events, they're, they're more likely to occur. So when do you think people should seek legal advice? On, the, on these types of issues, it's, it's always difficult to say at which stage because obviously emotions are going to be very high. There's going to be a risk that relationships and families, for example, the, the step-parents, step-children, they may all be fine, but once these more, um, once these issues start arising, you get very fractious relationships all of a sudden and it's very quickly for them them to break down where people are sort of in the unknown where a loved one has died and and it's not entirely sure what's what's going to happen what options may be available so 
that, that may be in the case of, of the stepchildren with, with the spouse who hasn't received anything or the, the cabotin partner, for example, which is continuing to live in the property, they equally will have, have worries. So it's, it's, it's difficult to say, but usually getting some clarity from an early stage just simply by taking advice usually helps give some reassurance or in, in the case of the, the, the spouse who's living in the property still, for example, and if they're getting hounded out by the, by the, by the stepchildren, then steps can be taken early on in terms of any claim against, against the estate to, to protect their position. So whilst early advice may help to try and preserve some relationships within the family equally, it's important to take early advice in the event that you are in that position where you haven't received anything from an estate. So it's always an emotional time and therefore early advice can assist in laying some foundations for the way ahead, uh, regardless of whether any claim requires to be pursued, but it should just hopefully give some clarity when those worries are at a heightened point. Thank you, Sam. Um, if anyone listening would like any further advice or information, then please do contact Sam. His contact details are available on our website.